Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here solo tonight after the Bucks handle the Minnesota Timberwolves in a little bit of afternoon basketball. We're going to run right through that game and all the takeaways there because it's always a fun one when it is stress-free, and it certainly was that for the Bucks tonight. But before I dive into it, today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week on Friday night to get in on the action Locker Room changing the way we talk about sports. So just some details there. Friday night, I'm going to do a live pod. We've done four or five of these now, and they've been a lot of fun. It gives you guys the opportunity to jump in the chat room. You can talk about, or you can get us to talk about any topic that you want us to talk about. So from this week, whether it was Jordan Warren and Pat Connaughton, whether it was Mike Budenholzer, who, by the way, I have to shout out you guys for being kind to me. I Look, you know, when you bring up, that topic, which I know has been a polarizing one all season long, I thought there might be some reaction to that episode, particularly when you do try to take both sides of the fence. But I tried to go through the arguments from both sides. Hopefully, it was at least a little bit balanced there. But shout out to you guys for looking after me, as always. Uh, but again, if there's any follow-ups you've got from that, download the Locker Room app. Follow me at Kane Pittman. Friday night, tentatively, 8 p.m. Catch the post-game show tomorrow and we can lock in the time for sure. But I did have a listener last week suggest to me that you got to do these live shows a little bit earlier. So I'm going to do that Friday night, 8 p.m. because I missed the podcast on Monday. I've been feeling terribly guilty about that all week. So Friday night, I'm going to do an extra show. That'll also be on your podcast feed. So if you can't make it live, no stress there. You'll be able to catch it over the weekend. It'll give you something to listen to there. Uh, before the Bucks enter a pretty big week with Memphis and Phoenix, a couple of games against Philadelphia, a really fun week coming up. Uh, just a couple of other housekeeping details here, and I always tend to do this when I'm here solo. I've had a number of people since I took over this show, and it's been about a year and a half now that I've been doing this. And I've had a number of people suggest to me, why don't you go on YouTube? And my simple answer to that is that First of all, it's a little bit extra work. Fine. That's fine. I'm not going to deny that that's part of it. Secondly, I've always been under the impression that nobody needs to see me. Nobody needs to see me when they're watching this show or listening to this show. But across the network, we're bringing it in. Maybe you caught me on Locked On Mavs last week. They do their show on YouTube already. I jumped on there and we did an episode there. But the word has started to filter through. I don't have a date. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But sometime, I would say, before the end of the season, you're going to be able to catch Locked on Bucks on YouTube. We're going to set that up. So that's a little development for the show. Uh, Pretty much ever since I've come on, I've been trying to make this better. I've been trying to engage you guys more than ever before. And this YouTube will be uh, just the latest part of that. So I am looking forward to getting started with that. Now, before we dive into this game with Minnesota, the Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks, 
So back to back and a, you know, just a continuation of a, a crazy schedule that the Bucks are in with the road. We know that they had that one home game there, but straight back out on the road and they went from this game in Minneapolis they're flying straight down to Atlanta. This is a national TV game. It's on TNT. It's a 6.30 p.m. Central Time tip-off. I got some bad news for you guys. We've got Marv Albert and Chris Weber on the call. That's what my email from the Bucks is telling me here. But the Hawks are no joke. 30 and 25, they've won three games in a row. Before I wrap up this show, I'll get into the Hawks a little bit more. We'll talk about them. Uh, just some numbers because they are really... Ever since they've really swapped coach, they went from Lloyd Pierce, they went to Nate McMillan, they've been on a real roll. And I think they've unlocked a lot of things offensively that we thought at the start of the season, they were going to be one of the more talented teams, at least from an individual player and the amount of players they have offensively on the roster. So we'll talk about the Hawks a little bit at the end. But this game against Minnesota, it was a fun one because it's always fun when it's stress-free when you're watching the Bucs. And this was certainly the case. The Bucs went at 130 to 105. Uh, they really busted this open in the second quarter. They outscored the Wolves 37 to 25. And then they had a 45-point third quarter. So they'd done their work early in this one, despite the fact that it was a bit of a scratchy start. And Minnesota are terrible. We know that. So you can afford to do that. They're 14 and 42 on the season. But it was a slow start for the Bucs, and then they eventually worked their way into it. Right off the top, PJ Tucker, we'll talk about him. He came into the lineup. And he, he didn't really do anything. He picked up three rebounds. Uh, he only played nine, uh, nine minutes and 57 seconds. So pregame, Bud did not want to talk about the minutes res- restriction for PJ Tucker. It was clearly around the 10-minute mark there. And I'm sure that they were taking extra precautions with the fact that not only is it back-to-back, but it's his first game back. It was a blowout win. But just a couple of little notes that I, I jotted down about PJ Tucker. First of all, his first possession, he was flying around. He switched on to two different players. He was chasing the ball out of bounds. And I must admit that I I felt a little bit of anxiety watching this guy. So the one note that I wrote down with PJ Tucker is just 100% all the time. And I think we're going to love that if he can stay healthy. But certainly, when you're coming back from this calf, and I do think that there have been extra cautious with him. Bud said that he's been 100% participant in practice for at least the last few days here. But I was certainly holding my breath a little bit. So I'm, I'm happy that it seems like he's got through this game okay. Uh, We'll wait and see whether he plays in the back-to-back tomorrow. But it was fun to see PJ Tucker out there. Um, A lot of the times he was in the corner. But they did did have him in the dunker spot a couple times there and used him as a screener on a couple of occasions. And despite the fact that he's not really a threat as a role man, it will be interesting to see offensively if he does anything different uh, now that while not playing, he's had a few more weeks with the squad to at least look through a couple of those things. So huge positive, just a huge positive, the fact that PJ Tucker is back out there on the floor. I personally think he's going to be a big part of what the Bucs do in the postseason. So to see him back with still now another 18 games, um, hopefully he can play in the majority of those, start to work up uh, some of that fitness level there, that game fitness that he would have lost and has lost really since uh, he's hardly played since February. It was good to have him back. Giannis went through workouts before the game. He did not play. Uh, Bud announced that before the game there. So he continues to appear to be getting closer. But again, the Bucs aren't... They are not doing anything overly risky with Giannis, which makes perfect sense, uh, particularly when you are playing the worst team in the league in the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Giannis will still wait on, but it was good to see PJ Tucker back. I did want to start with Chris Middleton, though. He finished this one with 27 points, 
eight rebounds, seven assists, nine for 15 from the field, three for seven from three, six for six from the free throw line. But it wasn't a great start for Chris. And, and I think that we can all sit here and admit that the last probably month, it feels like, there's been something that's felt a little bit off. And the numbers don't necessarily mesh with that. He's been a guy that, despite the fact that it feels like he's been a little bit down, if you look at his numbers since the All-Star break, which is the last 16 games that he's been playing, he's been getting you 20 points, six rebounds, five assists, 46% from the field, 45% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. So again, with Chris, we've become so accustomed to the fact that He's been shooting very clear, 50, 40, 90. And for the most part this year, 55, 45, and 90. So just absolutely absurd that any time that he has off nights, and he certainly had that off night going back to that game against Dallas where I think he was six for 27, it stands out. And he does get criticism. But I've never been someone that honestly gives a shit if Chris Middleton has a poor shooting night. Like, I just don't care. Like, I know people are going to jump on him and say, well, see, look, Chris Milton, he's having a bad shooting night. It doesn't matter. Everyone has bad shooting nights. I sat on my couch yesterday and watched Damian Lillard have a terrible shooting game for Portland. They lost to Boston. Who cares? I mean, this is the NBA. It's going to happen. Like I've always said with Chris, the one thing that I want to see him do is not fade out of games. Now, if you watch the first five minutes of this one, and I, I said this at the top, the Bucs were certainly very scratchy. And Chris Middleton w- was not looking good. He missed his first three shots. One of those was an air ball on a corner three. He fumbled a pass from Drew Holiday, which admittedly wasn't the best pass, but he fumbled it. It was a turnover. He also uh, turned the ball over out of a double team. It was a bit of a, a scratchy pass, maybe a lazy pass, which we know, and, and he admits sometimes his passing is not where he would like it to be, despite the fact I do think it's been an area of his game that's improved a lot. And then there was an inbound pass that was supposed to be a lob to Dante, I believe, but it bounced off the rim. So this all happened in the first five minutes of this game. And while there was never, to me anyway, while to, to me there was never any concern of the fact that Chris Middleton was going to, or the Bucks were going to lose this game, you do want to see Chris get into a bit of a rhythm. And from that point on, he certainly did. I mentioned those three turnovers came, well, certainly two of those turnovers off the top of my head came in the first five minutes of the game. From that point on, he had seven assists and only one turnover, was nine for 12 from the field and three for five from the three-point line. And I do think that it's worth noting that he was defended by Josh Okogie, who I know that the Wolves suck, but he's not a terrible defender. I mean, he's a fine one-on-one defender. He gets you steals, he gets you blocked shots, and he's been challenging some of the better players. And and again, you know, I, I know that you're never going to get any credit for having a big night against this Minnesota team. But that matchup with Okogi and the way that they were sending double teams at him, I do think, and I do love the way that Chris was able to work through this, and he did it by getting to the paint. We saw that in the first quarter on three drives, a couple of finishes with layups, another time he got to the free throw line. And this, to me, has been a big development in Chris Middleton's game that we've seen over the last 12 months or so, I'm going to say. He looks more confident finishing at the basket. He's more aggressive. And I just thought it was super physical play from him. And so it should be. Let's be honest. You've got Jaden McDaniels, the rookie in front of you. Anthony Edwards, a rookie in front of you. Ricky Rubio. Get those guys out of the way. You're a veteran. You're a big guy. And I don't think that we've ever associated physical play with Chris Middleton before because I don't think that's a part of his game. He's more of a smooth moving guy. He'll get to his spots. He'll rise up. He'll knock down those shots. And we saw that as the game went on. 
But I like the physicality from him to say, okay, I've missed my first few shots. This has not been a good start to the game for me. Let's get to the paint and let's finish. And this has been an area of his game that has dropped off over the last month. His jump shot's fine. They'll come and go. He's a shooter. He's going to have off nights. But he's now down to 59% within five feet and 61% in the restricted area. Those numbers at the start of the season were right up in the high 60s, which is an absurd number for Chris Middleton. So I just personally love the fact that when he started this game, in difficult fashion, wasn't at his best. He said, okay, I'm going to get to the paint. I'm going to score. I'm going to get to the free throw line. And to me, that really sparked his performance. And let's be honest, again, I know it's Minnesota, but 27 eight and seven in 25 minutes is just a monstrous night. So it was fun to see Chris Middleton get going in this one and see him uh, really pay off for his work and stay aggressive, keep shooting those shots. Because I have no doubt there's going to be a playoff game where Chris Middleton is going to shoot six for 20. And if he does, I don't care. Shoot six for 20, but do not shoot two for seven or two for eight. And when I think back to that series against Toronto, yes, he was a facilitator. Yes, Toronto wanted the ball out of his hands but he's got to score. The Bucs need him to score. I think they've got more options offensively. We saw him pass out of those double teams really well tonight, but he can't be taking seven shots. If you're going to shoot poorly, try and work your way out of it. We've seen him get better at that. So I, I absolutely much respect to Chris Milton for his poor performance tonight, particularly after the start that he had. Uh, I've got a bunch of things I want to run through, some Pat stuff, some Brooke Lopez stuff for sure. Before I do that, let's talk about rockauto.com which is the family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Uh, The thing that I love about Rock Auto, and I keep mentioning this, is that the the catalog, whatever you need, it's extremely easy to navigate. You can search by your the, the make of your car or your truck, exactly what you want. Uh, you give a rough idea of what you want and you'll be able to track it down uh, super easy, even if you're not a car expert. So it's, it's really good stuff here. And all you have to do is go to rockauto.com right now and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. That's locked on in their how did you hear about us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I want to give a shout out to Peter Bukowski. I, I saw a little clip on social media and I, I believe he was talking to Nick Angstat of Locked On Mavs and they were talking about the, the play-in tournament and the recent comments from Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban that they're not a big fan of the play-in tournament. Now, it's easy for me to say, I think the play-in tournament's going to be really fun. But again, we watch the Bucks. The Bucks aren't going to be in the playing tournament, so it's easy to say so. I think if you're a team that that follows those rosters and you've had a full regular season, and there is a chance that it's all going to come crashing down in one game, yeah, you might have every reason to feel a little bit hard done by there. But the point of this is, Peter Bukowski looked like I'm pretty sure it wasn't a fake background. I know he lives in New York, but it just looked like an incredible view from his house. So shout out to him. Uh, There's a nice sunset going on, I believe, in the background. But anyway, shout out to Peter. We'll have to get him back on the pod here at some point. Before I talk about Brooke Lopez, 
there was just one play from Drew Holiday that I have to mention. And it stood out on the broadcast. It was an understated and in many respects, such a typical Drew Holiday play. He picked up a steal around the free throw line. The Bucks had a double. I think it might have been Bobby Portis and Chris Milton off the top of my head. Anyway, loose pass that came back towards the free throw line. Drew Holiday snatched the ball in one hand. I believe it was his left hand. Just picked the ball like it was a friggin' apple in midair and then took off down the floor, cruising along. Anthony Edwards is coming in, flying for the block from behind. And we know from watching Drew Holiday every single night this year, he's left... He's finishing with his left hand is absolutely outstanding. It's absurd. But it's also very hard to read and very tricky because I think as a right-hander, naturally, if you're Anthony Edwards, you think, okay, well, he's in a fast break. It's very difficult to pull yourself up in these scenarios. But Drew Holiday didn't care. He's so calm. He's like, okay, I can see this guy's behind me. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to feel him on my back a little bit. And now I'm just going to flip up a nice little reverse on my left while Anthony Edwards flew to the right going in for the chase down block. And it was just such a Drew Holiday play. And that's why I've been saying all season long that with Drew, there's such a sense of calm when he has the ball in his hands and his ability to finish in traffic and get to his spots and make the right play. And the second play that I want to bring up was the one where he caught himself in midair. And I believe Marcus Johnson tweeted this clip out. So if you... I don't know what I'm talking about or you missed this because it did kind of happen quickly in the play. Then go to Marcus Johnson's Twitter and you'll see this. Uh, Drew Holiday found himself in midair. It was kind of going to be a short little fadeaway mid-range from six to seven feet. He just tossed the ball off Nas Reed's back. I believe it was Nas Reed. Got the deflection and then just calmly finished a little floater. It was an incredible play. And again... Just two examples of Drew Holiday's ability to always have his head in the game. His IQ is off the charts. And I remember last week or whenever the Bucks played the Warriors, I jumped in the call pregame and I asked Steve Kerr about Drew Holiday and what makes him difficult to stop, what makes him difficult to defend, what makes him difficult to scheme against. And the one thing that Steve Kerr said was exactly that, the pace that he plays with and the fact that He's really athletic and he's really fast. And if he wants to, he can turn the Jets on. And we've seen, if you go back and look at his highlight clips across the course of his career, he'll throw down. He can throw down dunks. He doesn't have a problem doing that, but he just plays within himself because it's so difficult to defend and it's so difficult to read because it's so uncommon the way that he plays with and the control that he plays with. So Drew Holiday, shout out to him because so often, and again, not to single out, Thanasis, this is just one example that I remember from tonight, but we see it all the time we play. Dante does it all the time. But that Drew Holiday's ability to slow down in the fast break, we saw Thanasis go one on four tonight because he saw the open floor in front of him. He thought, okay, this is going to be an easy basket. And just mentally, it can be so difficult to slow down. So again, it's not a criticism of Thanasis because guys do it all the time, but it just stands out with Drew Holiday, just his IQ and his ability to finish in those scenarios. Uh, I do want to talk about Brooke Lopez. Before I get to that, I'll just give you guys a quick note about our friends over at betonline.ag, which you guys know, you've heard me talk about them for a long time. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action because football might be over, but we've got NBA, we've got the MLB, and the Oakland Athletics are absolutely flying right now, which you know I, I will be happy about. And we've also got the hockey. 
I don't know if we've got any hockey fans that listen to this show, but you can check out all of the real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, and mock drafts four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I mentioned I wanted to talk about Brooke Lopez a little bit, and it was an impressive performance tonight from Brooke Lopez. He had 18 points. He had eight rebounds. Uh, had a big offensive rebound, and it always stands out when Brook Lopez gets aggressive, but he was 6-for-9 from the field, 2-for-4 from three. So again, another really impressive night from two-point land where he was 4-for-5 and also got to the free-throw line for a number of and one opportunities. It's a continuation of a pretty good stretch of basketball from Brook Lopez since the All-Star break. If you just look at his splits, 13.1 points per game since then, which is up on where it's been from him since he's been with the Bucks, And let's remember, he's only playing 27, point, uh, 27 minutes a night. So that 13 points is certainly pretty damn good production from him. He's over 50% from the field. And he's taken 5.6 attempts from two-point range in that stretch since the All-Star break. 5.6 shots from two-point range. Now, it is worth pointing out that a big part of that is because Giannis is in the lineup. And you see that Brook can park himself down in the paint a little bit more. He can go to work. They can find him on those, uh, you know you know what I'm talking about here, those little lob passes over the top, the ones that gets Giannis free dunks all the time. It doesn't often get Brook Lopez a free dunk because he's not as explosive as Giannis, but it does get him easy points in the paint. Now, those types of opportunities aren't going to be there when Giannis is there. But again, it does beg the question, and it's another just a reminder of what Brook Lopez can do in the paint and in that two-point territory. It's an underutilized resource that the Bucs have. Now, all through the year, I've had a number of people say, why don't the Bucs get more out of Brook Lopez? And we know he's been a guy that's been criticized by Bucs fans throughout the season. He has been. I've defended him. I, I might be the biggest Brook Lopez defender getting around. I'm not 100% sure. But offensively, when you have Giannis in there, it's going to be more challenging for Brook Lopez to get those two-point attempts. Now, you might say, okay, well, what about in the past where we've seen Bud go to Brook in the post when Giannis is off the floor? And that will be an option. There's no doubt about that. But I think that the benefit of having Brook and Giannis there in the paint with their defensive ability, I think Bud is going to lean on a lot during the postseason. So I, I personally don't look for Brook Lopez for a lot of inside offense. But if there's a situation where Giannis finds himself in foul trouble, maybe there is a game against the Brooklyn Nets where they decide they're playing DeAndre Jordan a lot. Who knows? Against the Sixers, maybe they go to Dwight Howard. Then, yeah, you can use Brook Lopez a little bit more. So again, as I keep saying, it's going to be matchup dependent. But it's been nice to see Brook Lopez step up without Giannis there. Because again, you don't know what's going to happen in the postseason. And if Giannis finds himself in foul trouble early, you know you've got Chris, you know you've got Drew, you know you've got Bobby Portis who can bring you offense off the bench. But there is going to be times where you're going to need to go inside to Brook. I think the most interesting thing about the offensive production from Brook Lopez since the All-Star break is the fact that he really hasn't shot the ball well from three. Just 32.4% 
from the outside since that all-star break, which stands out because you would think with what we've seen from Brook over the past couple of years that he would have to be shooting the ball well if he's putting up the nights that he's putting up offensively. Tonight he was fine. It was two for four. But I also thought it was pretty indicative of what I've been complaining about or bringing up or mentioning over the last couple of seasons is the fact that Brook Lopez is a fine three-point shooter, but he's a fine three-point shooter when he has his feet set, his shoulders square, and he spots up. And I thought there was a pretty good point made by Steve Novak during the broadcast here where he said, you know, people always talk about guys shooting the ball from three to four feet beyond the three-point line. And I think it was Zora that mentioned that she asked Brooke about this and he said, yeah, maybe I am shooting them a little bit deeper. And then Steve kind of said, well, I always thought to myself, if you can't get in front of someone, how are you going to get open shots? Take a few steps back. You're always going to be wide open from beyond the three-point line. Now, from my experience of being at, you know, right across the league, at being at shoot-arounds, being at practice, generally when we're allowed into see shoot-around or practice, the guys, are, they're not really doing anything interesting, but they'll be standing around shooting threes. I don't think that there's a guy that I've seen shoot the ball from that type of range, like three or four feet beyond the three-point arc with the ease that Brook Lopez does. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, obviously there's guys that shoot it better when you think of Steph, when you think of Dame. But I'm talking about the, the ease of powering that ball towards the hoop like it's, I, this, is, this is my second Apple reference for this podcast. I don't know what I'm on about, but it's, it's like he's shooting an apple. Like it's so easy for him to shoot from range. So I'm fine with Brook Lopez shooting those long threes, but what I don't want to see is him leaning to one side or fading away. Or there was one tonight where he, was just, he, he just wasn't balanced and he was almost leaning forward when he shot the ball from three. And so I think that we've seen a few more of those from him since the All-Star break, and I think that's contributed to the fact that his three-point percentage has come down. Now, he's feeling really confident. He's certainly getting more shots, again, because Giannis isn't out on the lineup. So it's not a criticism, but I think when the Bucs are full strength, Brook is going to find those open looks. He's going to get a lot of those from above the break, which we know that he's been able to knock down. But for me, for him, if you don't have your feet set, if there's time on the shot clock, Move the ball. Just move the ball. You don't have to shoot that shot because I don't necessarily think it's a good one for him. But when, uh, like I said, if he is open, I don't care if he's a long way behind the three-point line. If his feet are set, let it fly. If you miss it, who cares? You're going to miss shots. It doesn't matter. But I like that shot for Brook Lopez. So it was just an interesting conversation during the broadcast. And given that he played so well tonight, I thought that it was worth bringing up. Speaking of three-point shooting, Pat Connaughton tonight... Shot the ball well from three. It was four for eight. He missed his last couple there. He certainly started hot, and I think he had three triples from the right corner in the second quarter. He was on fire, and it was good to see him bounce back a little bit. One for 17 over his last little stretch from three, and then he was able to bounce back the other night, hit some shots. So he's starting to find some form, and it brought me back to the conversation we had about Pat Connaughton and Jordan Wara and me saying, well, look, if you get in a stretch of playoff games where Pat is really not shooting the ball well and he's having a one for 17 stretch, that can be really costly in a small sample size, which we know a playoff series is. So consistently over the year, Pat's been really, really good. And the reason why I like him out there is because he has been a consistent three-point shooter and I do trust him more than I trust a rookie in a playoff series. I just do. We saw Jordan Wara come in and knock down some shots at the end. And I do think again, 
that he'll be there in an emergency situation. If Pat is really cold, get Jordan out there, see if he can knock down some shots. But just overall, I thought it was nice to see Pat bounce back because those shots are going to be there in the postseason all night long. He's going to be shooting open threes in the playoffs. And again, the Bucs are going to need him to deliver. I think he was one for seven was the stat I referenced the other night against the Heat last year, which obviously is not going to cut it. They need Pat, who's been more confident than ever this year, to knock down those threes. So shout out to him. One final one from this game was Bobby Portis. He picked up the delay a game, and then there was a tech, a tech, and Bud was really getting into him. And I'm not surprised that Bud was getting into him. But this was the funniest moment of the game for me. I've referenced this before when Bobby Portis has flexed after finishing a tough basket. Bud doesn't like it. He wants him to get back on defense. He's a coach. No coach likes that. So when he picked up this big offensive rebound, finished the layup, the ball landed in his hands. He wouldn't give it up. But Bud was not happy. He pulled him for the rest of the game after that. And I had to laugh. I was cracking up laughing. It's a typical Bobby Portis play. We've seen it all season long. We love his energy. We love his enthusiasm. And I'll say this. The first delay of game that he picked up was actually complete bullshit because the ball just went through the hoop and it just fell in his hands and he tossed it behind him. And the player was actually there. Like, I don't know what, I, what else does he have to do? I thought it was a complete bullshit call. But I was laughing at the second delay of game. So shout out to Bobby Porters because I love his energy. And again, tonight, 13.7 rebounds and five assists. He was really moving the ball with a couple of steals as well. So another big night for Bobby. Uh, We all love that guy. And hopefully, again, we've said it all season long, it looks like he might get priced out of Milwaukee, but geez, you'd love to keep him around because he's been a hell of a lot of fun to watch this year. I've been really rolling here today on this solo pod. A couple of numbers from the Atlanta Hawks. Like I mentioned, 6.30 p.m. Central Time tip on TNT. Uh, seven and three over their last 10. They've won their last three games. Uh, you know, I really hate to bring this guy's name up, but you're going to be watching for Bogdan Bogdanovich in this one. This is over the last 10 games for Atlanta. Bogdanovich averaging 20.5 points, 52% from three-point land, and he's getting you four rebounds on four assists. So he's been on a tear. Danilo... Gallinari has found his range as well. He's getting you 17 points on 43% from three. And they've added Lou Williams. Easy to forget. One of those under-the-radar deals that happened uh, over the trade deadline period. Lou Williams is with the Hawks, and he's playing 24 minutes, but he's getting you 12 points. We know that he can score, and he's been 50% from three. And then you go down the line, and obviously you know uh, what Trey Young can do and what Kevin Herter and all these guys. So they are a seriously dangerous team, the Hawks, in terms of what they can do offensively. It's going to be a great challenge for the Bucs defensively in their three-point defense in particular when there's so many weapons out on the floor. So I am really looking forward to this game. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this solo pod for me. Like I said, I will remind you tomorrow with a specific time. Friday night, we're going to do a live pod, so I am really looking forward to that. But on this night, it was the Bucs, 130 to 105. They improved to 34 and 20 on the season with the Hawks coming up here. We'll be back, and Frank is going to be with me for a post-game pod. Milwaukee, Atlanta. I can't wait to have him back. I know you guys are excited to have Frank on the pod. We'll catch you guys then.